Well, I want to share a message with you this morning. I just got actually got back from men's camp this morning. We were up at men's camp at Camp Cedarcrest, a few guys from our church, and we had uh, about 350 men from all over Southern California, Southern Nevada, a few from Arizona, and even a few guys that drove out from Utah uh, to, to men's camp. And it was a powerful time um, and just got to sit in the presence of the Lord, hear some powerful teaching. We had a worship team from Las Vegas, from New Hope Church in Las Vegas. And, and New Hope Church was, uh, they're an extension of a church in Hawaii. And there's a lot, of, a lot of islanders, a lot of Pacific islanders who live in uh, Nevada and Las Vegas. And so this church is predominantly Hawaiians and Samoans, Fijians. And, uh, and this group of men came and, and led worship. And it was on fire. Oh, my goodness. Those guys were, they were jumping around. There's one, one Samoan dude on the team, and, and he, was, he was like probably 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, and, and just, just a big, big guy. And he was jumping up and down on that stage. It's hard not to get excited for Jesus in that kind of environment. We had a, a great time. Um, but, but as we were there, uh, the Lord was just even speaking to me about the idea that our lives have an impact on each other. And, and we just came out of a series called Connected. And so this might feel a little bit like that, but it's, it's not. There's a little twist to it this morning. The impact that our lives have on each other cannot be underestimated. And I think here's, here's something we, we do is we, we let things just happen by, by chance, happenstance. Oh, if the opportunity comes up, then I'll encourage that person. But, but we've all been on the receiving end of, of people who've invested in our lives. Amen? All along, all along the journey of your life, there's been people who've intentionally invested in who you are and have contributed to who you are today. None of us are self-made. There is no such thing in the kingdom of God as a self-made person. It doesn't exist. That God has created us for community, that we need each other. But I think we lack some intentionality sometimes. And quite often, I, I think what happens is that the culture that we live in, the world we live in, and ultimately the enemy of our souls tries to, to introduce these lies into our lives, and we're going to talk about some of those lies here in a few minutes, that take our focus off of being an encouragement to other people and turn our eyes inwardly and going, hey, I just need to take care of number one. By the way, if you think you're number one, you're in the wrong place. Not, not this morning, but right because he's number one. That God's the number one in our lives. That's the place he, he deserves to be. See, if we want to have an impact on the people around us, and I, we hear this a lot, I, and, and as a pastor, I read lots of articles about how do we have an impact on the next generation. There's this focus on the next generation, which is great. We always need to be looking to how do we invest into younger, younger people and those coming up behind us. But the reality is you can have an impact on whoever God calls you to have an impact on. They can be the same age. They can be older. God doesn't care. That's not like a, a limiting factor for God. God says, hey, I want you to speak to that person. Well, Lord, they're older than me. God goes, oh, you're right. I'm so sorry. No, God, God, will, God spoke to Balaam through a donkey. 
God can use you. Amen. Let's, let's close. No, I'm just kidding. What we have to do in order to have an impact, though, is change our orientation. And can I tell you the best way to change the orientation of your heart and of your life is through repentance. Repentance for what? Well, let's talk about that for a minute. I might touch some nerves this morning, and that's okay. I, I, was, I was thinking about, I, I, I love being in my workshop. It's, it's a garage, but I call it my workshop. Um, I love tools. Um, I, know, I know that when Megan, when my wife sees like the Harbor Freight catalog come in, she's like, do you, re- do you really need that? All right, I see that. Any, any, any of you relate to that? Yeah. I see that. I, right. I'm like, come on. I need that little magnetic tray. Or I see that 25% coupon, and I'm like, I know there's something I need. I love being in my workshop, but, but here's, here's what I know is that whether it's woodwork or, or metalwork or, or whatever kind of job I'm doing, that, that there's going to be noise and there's going to be sparks or sawdust and there's going to be, there's, I love the smell of wood when you're cutting wood. Oh, it smells so good. I actually love the smell of welding too. It's a different thing, but that, that metal and I just, I love the experience of it. And I think one of the things that God wants to do in us sometimes is like we sit sometimes in church and we treat it like a classroom. We're like, okay, Lord, just give me some good information. Can I invite you this morning into the workshop of the Holy Spirit? Can I invite you to avail yourself to him to say, hey, if you need to, if you need to grind off some areas of my life, I'm okay with it, even though there's going to be some heat and there's going to be some sparks. So I'm just telling you in advance, some of the things we talk about this morning might result in some sparks internally in your life. And that's okay because we're a work in progress and a work in process. And sometimes we just need to go, okay, God, I surrender. You need to do what you need to do in my life. So we need to change our orientation. Open your Bibles this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18, if you have your phone with you or a device with you, you can download the app. Uh, we have an app at thriveglendora.org. You can click on the link to download that app. And all of the notes for this morning and the verses and the passages are available on the app. First Samuel 18, I want to talk about Jonathan and David. Jonathan and David, I, there, are, there are few friendships in the history of history, in the history of the world that compare to what we find with Jonathan and David. Let me read the passage here out of First Samuel 18. We'll read verses 1 through 4. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, this is David, the soul, the, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Some versions say, as himself. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that, he, that was on, it, on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. 
1 Samuel 18 happens right after, this, this passage happens right after David has killed Goliath. David, who's a nobody. In, 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 the, in the nation of Israel, he's a nobody. His, his father, Jesse, is a shepherd. He's just an average Jewish man who just tends sheep. He has a bunch of sons because he needs lots of sons to manage the business. And David is the youngest of those sons. So he's the least in his family. And his family is really no one in the nation of Israel. And we know the story that David shows up in the Elah Valley and he sees Goliath. He's there just to deliver cheese and bread. And his brothers ridicule him. They're like, why are you here? You just want to come check out the action. And David hears uh, Goliath and, and hears the taunting and hears the, the mocking of God that takes place. And, and this fire rises up inside of him. And he, we know the story. David goes out and he defeats Goliath. And all of a sudden, this nobody teenager is thrust into the limelight and, and, and what we find here is that David is brought before the king. And there's this conversation that, that David and, and, and King Saul have. And Jonathan is close to where they're at. And he can hear what's happening. And it says that when, when David was done speaking to Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Now, here's what it doesn't tell us is, how well they knew each other. We can kind of assume they didn't really know each other because the prince of Israel, the crown prince of Israel, would probably have not had any reason to be connected to a little shepherd boy. But in this moment, as Jonathan is listening to the heart of David, in the midst of David sharing with the king who he is and where he comes from and where this righteous fire, this anger that rose up in, inside of him, when he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And he's having this discussion with Saul and Jonathan overhears it. And before they've even entered into a deep relationship, it says that the soul of David was knit to the soul uh, of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself says that Saul took him that day, took David, and would not let him return to his father's house. And what we start seeing developing here is a father and a son, a king and the crown prince, the ones who were the rulers of the nation, who sit in a place of authority, and everybody knows who they are. There's a divide that happens because of this young man named David. Saul begins to hate and despise David because of his victory, because David is a threat to him. But Jonathan loves David. Jonathan loves David. And he, just, he doesn't just say it. You know, we say that, right? Oh, I love you. What did Pastor Deb say? Love is about actually doing something. And love is about stepping out of our comfort zone and out of what we want and out of our aspirations and saying, God, what are you doing in that person's life? So Jonathan was the crown prince. He was the heir to the throne because that's how kings work. You're a king, you have sons, your oldest son is the one then who will be the king after you, right? We get that. 
And so Jonathan knows, when my father is gone, I will be the next king of Israel. Everybody knows this. And one of the things that that designated or, or identified Jonathan as being the son of the king was his robe, his tunic. It was his armor, it was his shield and his bow, his sword and his bow and his belt. So when he would go through the villages in Israel, in the, in the countryside in Israel and through the cities in Israel, people would look at him and go, that is the son of the king. That is the son of the king. Everybody knew who he was. Yet we see this this, this action, this activity that takes place on the part of Jonathan and David. It says that Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own. He loved him as as himself. He loved him as much as his own soul. And it says that he made a covenant. He made a promise. He made a commitment to David. Now, we're not giving the particulars of the covenant, but we can kind of read between the lines because of what happens next. See, Jonathan comes to David and he says, hey, I'm with you. And I'm for you, and I'm behind you, and I will support you, and I see the hand of God on your life, and I will promote you, and I will try, I will do everything in my power to support the call of God on your life. And he makes this covenant, and it's not a light thing. A covenant is not something you enter into lightly. It's not something you, it's not just an empty promise. Hey, if it's convenient for me, I'll see what I can do. Hey, I know a guy and maybe I'll give him a call. This is not what Jonathan did. Jonathan said, hey, I take everything that I am, everything that that I have at my possession, every bit of authority that I have out of the love that I have for you, it's yours. It's yours. By the way, when God makes a covenant with us, through the blood and, and blood and body of Jesus Christ, through his death, death and resurrection. And Jesus says, this is the seal. This is a sign of the new covenant. That's what God is saying. Everything I am and everything I have is yours. I'm behind you 100%. And then it goes on to say that Jonathan stripped himself. He stripped himself. Of the robe. It could have said he just took off his robe, but it's so much more. He took off the items that identified him as the son of the king and he put him, put them on David. I tell you what, I want to impact lives like Jonathan did. I want to have an impact in people the way that Jonathan did with David. But I think there's some problems, there's some issues, there's some lies that we have to get through, that we have to untangle in our own hearts and in the midst of our own culture and in the midst of our own church culture that get in the way of us actually living this out practically. See, because the kingdom of God is not about talk, it's about action. And I know this, and you know this, there's a lot of talk in church. We talk a lot. I talk a lot. We read books and we listen to podcasts and words and words and words and words and words. 
But here's what we know from the statistics we hear in this nation is that Christianity is not increasing. It is in, on the decline. So we are talking ourselves out of existence. The kingdom of God is not about talk. It is about action. In, in, in Matthew 7, Jesus says that it's force, forceful men and women lay hold of it. We go after it. So here's the first lie. The first lie, and I'm going to give you the lie and the truth together. The lie is this, competition versus connection. Competition versus connection. You see, the world tells us that the people around us are our competition. And we're told this from when we're really little. Maybe not that bluntly, but it comes through. Do you know what I'm saying? That you're going to compete with the people around you for the affection of your parents, for the attention of the teacher, for that guy or for that girl, for that job or for that promotion, for that position in church. And so what we do is we start seeing the people in our lives as competition. And can I tell you, you can't be connected to someone you're competing with. It's just not possible. You cannot be connected to people you're competing with because there's always going to be this underlying thing that says this. You might not say it in this way, but this is what it boils down to. I'm willing to throw you under the bus if it promotes and benefits me. Sparks. The world tells us that we are in competition with each other. And the kingdom of God says, no, I've put people in, God says, I've put people in your life to be connected to each other, to be a support and an encouragement and to be cheerleaders to each other. My son plays football at Glendora High School and I missed the game on Friday night, which was 49-7, right? That was the score, 49-7. But I've been observing football for a little while as my sons have played. And, and here's what I notice is in the absence of good coaching, and even sometimes when there is good coaching, what happens in the dynamic in the culture of a team is this. The players start sizing each other up and figuring out who do they have to beat out to be first string. Now, there's healthy competition in our lives. Don't hear me wrong. God has built us. There's a capacity we have to strive after things and press after things, but not at the cost of relationship. That success cannot be achieved by walking over people because it is the antithesis of the kingdom of God. And so I watch on the football team as these players will start jockeying for position. And the irony of it is we use the word team. It's a football team, but within the team, there's this division and if it's bad enough, you'll see it leaking out in the culture. Now, I'm thankful that it's one of the things we love about Glendora High School is the coaching culture at Glendora is really good, which is one of the reasons I believe that the team is doing as well as it is. It's not just because of the talent. It's because of the culture. We can buy into a culture that tells us, hey, Look at the person to your left and look at your, the person to your right. You just have to do better than them. You just have to do better than them. And we bring that into the church, people. We bring that into the church. And we start competing with each other and trying to show each other up. We see it in Scripture in other places as well. John 21, 
We have this scene where Peter is on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has showed up. They're out fishing because that's Peter's default. Is like when things don't go well, I'm going fishing. And, I, and you might not go fishing, but I'm pretty sure you have a default, default setting as well. The place where you go hide. Well, Peter's hiding and Jesus shows up. And, and that's a beautiful scene of restoration. He calls out to them. Peter comes, jumps, can't wait to see Jesus, jumps out of the, the boat, swims to shore. Jesus is there, feeds them. And then he asks Peter three times, do you love me? And he restores Peter to his position. And then he tells Peter, listen, later on in life, you're going you're gonna to be led by people to places you don't want to go. And, and essentially tells him, listen, this is the way you're going to die, but it will be for my glory. And it's a tough, it's a tough thing to hear, but but Peter and Jesus have a pretty amazing moment. And the other disciples are there with them. And in verse 20 of John 21, this is what happens. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, which was John. Which, by the way, we're reading the Gospel of John. And John loves referring to himself as the, the, the disciple who Jesus loved. <laughs> a little self-promotion there. I'm that guy. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. This is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. I think we might have a different version on the screen. If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Even Peter, in this amazing moment with Jesus, he's restored, he's reconciled to his Savior, to his friend, and then he's given some information about his life, and his response is, well, what about that guy? And I think Jesus would say the same thing to us. None your business what I'm doing in their life. If I want to work in their life in, the, in that way, then I will work in their life in that way. But why don't you focus on what I'm calling you to do, how I'm calling you to live, how I'm calling you to obedience. See, we're not in competition with each other. We have to be connected to each other. We have to see each other as divine appointments from God, that the people in your life are not there by accident, can I tell you this morning, the fact that you are sitting in this church today is not by accident. If you're visiting with us this morning, you're not here by accident. I think we have some APU students with us today. Hey guys, how's it going? Can I tell you this morning, you're not here because of a class assignment. You're here on purpose. God intended for you to be here today. Because God knows what he's doing. And he knows, he, and, and here's the thing, we end up despising the people that God puts in our lives. Again, we see it in scripture. Moses is like, Lord, these people you gave me. I'm sure there is an oive in there somewhere. And God says, no, these are the people that I've put in your life for a reason. Don't despise them, embrace them. I learned in college years ago, one of my professors said, direction flows through relationship. 
And if we're in the business of just cutting off relationship and being in competition, it's no wonder we lack direction in our lives. Next thing is this, the next lie is success over surrender. Success versus surrender. The, t- the world tells us that we're supposed to be successful. We, we train up our children to say, you know what, you need to go to school, you need to study hard, you need to go to college, you need to get a degree. Why? So you can be successful. Whatever that means. Am I right? It's a, it's a moving target. I think in America, successful means comfortable, happy, lots of stuff, better than the person down the street. Again, the competition starts seeping into this. So successful means that I have to walk over people to achieve some kind of standard that the world is telling me I need to achieve. We're in the kingdom of God. It's quite the opposite. God says that he calls us to a life of surrender and submission. We don't like to talk about that though, do we? Surrender and submission. Let me ask you, ask you this question this way. How do you handle the success of other people? Really? Oh, I'm so happy for you. I'm so, I'm so glad for you. Jerk. <laughs> of course, the jerk is silent, right? Should have been me. Why did I get passed up? Why do you get to do it and I don't get to do that? And, and again, this is in us from when we're kids, In fact, it's so much so that we've created a culture where no one gets left out. We don't have any losers anymore. Everybody's a winner. Why? Because our hearts don't know how to handle the success of other people. That person that gets promoted at, can we truly be happy for people? And again, it happens in church all the time. I know because I'm the pastor and I hear it. And we allow bitterness to come in. What do they have that I don't have? Uh, That attitude. (laughs) What do they have that don't I have? I give and I've served some as much as I can. And I've been faithful. And and we list, come on, we list the stuff out, don't we? And then that person gets asked to do that thing instead of me. How does your heart handle the success of other people? The answer to that question really exposes the condition of your heart. Jesus calls us to a life of surrender and submission. See, the question is, am I willing to lay down my aspirations in order to follow God? And we have been told as a church, man, you dream it, you do it. You can set it, do anything you set your mind to. And can I tell you, That is not true. You can do anything God calls you to do. You can't do anything you think you should do. And I think the posture of of our lives has become, God, this is what I want to do. Now bless it. And when he doesn't, we turn into two-year-olds. 
One, two, three, two, three. Right? Sparks. God is calling us to follow Him. He desires obedience over sacrifice. See, Jonathan was willing to give up his rightful place. It was his place. It's not like he snuck in and took it from someone. He was born into an inheritance. He was born into a right to be the next king of Israel. And he stripped himself of his robe and of his armor and of his sword and of his belt. And he put them on David. By the way, you remember what happened when David showed up to face Goliath and he went before Saul and everyone's laughing at him like, right, what are you going to do, kid? Look at him. Look at you. And do you remember what Saul did? Gave him his armor. And it didn't fit. And David's like, I can't use these. But in the case of Jonathan, he receives it. He says yes. Because there was honor. There was an intent behind Jonathan that wasn't there behind Saul. That Saul did it in, in kind of a mocking way. Like, well, the least I can do, if you're going to go out and get slaughtered, at least put some armor on. Where Jonathan came behind him and said, everything I have is yours. And he stripped himself of the things that identified him as royalty. And he put them on David and said, you will be the next king of Israel. Jonathan serves David. He serves him in the same way that Jesus says in Mark 10, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, become the servant, in fact, he uses the word slave, of all. And all means all. Oh, Lord, I don't want to serve that person. I don't really like them. Come on. That we would be great in the kingdom of God. And we want, Lord, I want to be great. I want to do stuff for you, Lord. You know that this, this phrase, you can change the world. No, you cannot. You know that, uh, that 100 years ago, 50 years ago, that that phrase, hey, I want to grow up and change the world. That never existed and, and can we understand, can we wrap our heads around the pride and the arrogance of one person who would say, I want to change the world? It's better for us to say, God, I just want to be obedient to you and do whatever you ask me to do and to do it with a good attitude. If it means being a servant and a slave to all, I will do it. And God says, that's greatness in my kingdom. See, but the lie of the world is, no, no, you've, you've got to make a name. You've got to get ahead. You've got to be successful. Jonathan gets this. He gets the heart of God. I'm going to serve this guy because the hand of God is on his life. And he's willing to surrender before God and to David. Listen to this, church. Jonathan... The crown prince of Israel submits himself to his king. 
the shepherd boy. Now, he still serves his father for 20 years. And there's a faithfulness about his life. And it's years before David would actually ascend to the throne. But all through that process, Jonathan looks out for David. Jonathan fights for David. Jonathan honors David because he recognizes the hand of the Lord. A commentator named David Duzik writes this. He says, they loved each other more than the throne of Israel because they loved the Lord more than the throne of Israel. What do we love more than God? Because whatever we love more than God is our God. And that's the thing that we will pursue. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, the kingdom of God is upside down. It is so different to what we have in this world. Jesus is saying this. Stop thinking about how you can get ahead and thinking about how you can get on your knees and serve and surrender. And the last thing is this. The world has told us that we need to be known, that people need to know who you are. That being known, being famous, in fact, that is a thing now, that is a pursuit of people's lives. What do you want to be? I want to be famous. For what? It doesn't matter. I just want people to know who I am. There's this new term, social influencers. Social influencers. And it's people who get online and they have Instagram accounts and YouTube accounts and, and they're young and they're old. And they're people who think they have something to say. And they garner a following, they, they gather an audience, they make some money, and all of a sudden they think now that they are making some kind of difference in the world. And, and maybe there are some that, that are, but I'll tell you that the hidden danger, the, the, the dark side of this is the self-promotion. It's the self-promotion. See... Are we more concerned about being known than we are about making God known? We need to make God known. The, the motto of YWAM, Youth with a Mission, their statement is to know God and make Him known. I love that. See, Jonathan and David were more con con concerned about the name of God than their own names. So the titles that came with being in this world didn't matter. You're the king. So what? I'm a servant of God. It's what welled up in David in front of Goliath. He was ticked off, not because the war was lasting so long that his brothers hadn't come home yet and he was having to do all the work. Because that's probably where some of us would land. Can we just get this over because I'm tired of pick, picking up your slack? Sparks. He shows up and he hears this giant of a man mocking God. He goes, no, no. That's my God you're talking about. And I will go toe to toe with you if you 
use that kind of language against him. Jonathan and David had the same DNA. They had the same heart. The reason God was able to knit their souls together is because they were so similar. They had the same honor and respect and reverence for the name of God and that their their posturing and their, their purpose and their drive was not for themselves but for the name of God. How often and how much do we pursue being known in our workplace, in our homes, in our neighborhood, and even in the church that I'm going to position myself in church, it's subtle. It's subtle. Hey, I want to make sure that I put myself in a place that that person will see me. I'm going to pick the chair. That, I'm going to make sure that I talk to that person or that person or I connect with the pastor because I need them to see. I need them to see me. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to serve. I'm going to stack chairs. I'm going to do it though so that people can see that I'm doing it. And the kingdom of God says, no, do it in private, do it in quiet. Don't let anyone see what you're doing. Serve in the secret place and do it as unto the Lord because he will promote you. He will push you ahead. Acts 1.8, Jesus says to the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And what does he say? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He doesn't say you're going to be a witness of yourself. You're not going out to promote yourself. You're going out to promote the kingdom of God, to promote his name. And so we have to move beyond being known to making God known. And, and here's why this is so important. When I make that shift, when I change that orientation of my life, what I will recognize is the call of God on other people's lives. Like Barnabas did with Saul when he shows up in Antioch. And he realizes, wait a minute, I have an opportunity to pastor a pretty amazing church. But it's not my place. God called Saul, who would become Paul, he called him to be here. And so he goes out of his way, gets on a ship, goes to Tarsus, finds Saul, brings him back, and together they start doing the work of the kingdom. And eventually Saul passes up Barnabas, not because he gets better, but because Barnabas catapults him, pushes him, thrusts him, encourages him, and says, I'm behind you 100%, even if it means you become the main guy and I take a step back. And I'll go find the next person to encourage, which is exactly what he does. So what about us? Now, I want to ask you a question and it's question, as we close, that will, will maybe, well, it'll result in sparks, possibly. But I want to ask this question as we close because I think it will give us our next steps. It will lay out for us our next steps. If you're thinking right now this, man, I really need a Jonathan in my life. You got some work to do. But if you're asking, Lord, how can I be a Jonathan for someone else? God says, oh, yeah, I'm all about that. 
See, because we want to hear things like this and go, God, just bring me some Jonathans. Right? God, just bring some people. God, uh, would you bring some mentors and some leaders and some people into my life will help me get forward with the things that you've called me to? And God's like, no. I'm not going to promote you and I'm not going to move you forward when that's the posture of your heart. And, and I would, again, gently, but I would guess that a lot of people who find themselves frustrated about God's call in their lives, it comes back to this posture. God, this is what I want to do. Bless it. Rather than, God, how can I see the people in my, in my life, the people that you've ordained, the people that you've purposed, and how can I start living my life like Jonathan going, man, I love you. I don't even know you, but I love you. And I believe in what God is calling you to. And I want to get behind you. And I want to use every ounce of my own energy and my resources and my time and my life. And I just want to invest in you so that God's call on your life will be realized. God says, I can work with that. I can work with that. But we've got to change. We've got to say, God, I repent. I started by saying, how do we change our orientation? We repent. My question to you would be, where do you need to repent? Where do you need to get on your face before the Lord and say, God, I've been going about this the wrong way. Forgive me. I want to surrender. I don't want to compete. I want to connect with your people. I want to see people and love them not be in competition with them. And God, I want to make your name known. Let's stand together as we close, as the worship team comes.